It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. I am Joe Mott. Welcome to the program. Today I begin to discuss the origin of life the information in the DNA molecule, and the evidence it gives to design. For many centuries, the teleological or design argument provided an intellectual foundation for much of Western thought. The early modern scientists thought that nature exhibited an underlying order. The idea was that order had been impressed on nature by designing mind and a purposive will. In fact, the mind and will were characterized by the Judeo-Christian God. Because nature had been chosen and created by the rational mind of God, the order in nature could not have been other than orderly. Moreover, since the human mind had been designed by the same rational mind who designed nature, the early modern scientists confidently assumed that nature was intelligible and could be understood by the human intellect. Because the order in nature was contingent on the will of its designer, They realized that if they studied nature carefully, they expected it would reveal its secrets. This confidence was grounded in both the Greek and Judeo-Christian idea that the universe is an orderly system, a cosmos, not a chaos. Early in the Christian era, theologians began referring to nature as a book Just as the book of Scripture told of God's character and plan, so too did the book of nature reveal God's power and wisdom. Moreover, scriptural passages such as Psalms 19 and Romans 1 supported this common attribution. Leading scientists like Isaac Newton, Robert Boyle, and others began referring to nature as a clock or more generally, a machine. Also, some began to characterize the natural world as a law-governed realm and sought to discover the laws of nature. The Oxford University historian of science, John Headley Brook, explained, For Newton, as for Boyle and Descartes, There were laws of nature only because there had been a divine legislator. The astronomer Johannes Kepler said that scientists have the job of thinking God's thoughts after him. Each of these three metaphors, the book, the clockwork, and the laws of nature, 
expressed the belief in a divine creator and sustainer of the natural world. Such presuppositions derived from a Judeo-Christian worldview help to inspire and shape the foundation for modern science. Indeed, the founders of the scientific revolution, circa 1300 to 1700 A.D., were often deeply religious men who expressed a profound appreciation of, for the design of life and the universe. Moreover, for these scientists, the concept was not just a religious idea, it was an indispensable presupposition upon which the whole scientific enterprise rested. In his book, Science and the Modern World, the British philosopher Alfred North Whitehead said, There can be no living science unless there is a widespread instinctive conviction in the existence of an order of things, and in particular, an order of nature. Whitehead particularly attributed this conviction to the medieval insistence upon the rationality of God. Yet today, in nearly every academic institution, a thoroughly materialistic slash naturalistic understanding of mankind and its place in the universe has risen to a dominating role. Creation, meaning, purpose, God, and religion have become pejorative terms in the academy. Matter and nature have subsumed mind, soul, and spirit. The cosmos has replaced the creator. Religion has been labeled an outcast organization and God as a moral monster. How then did we get from Newton's and Boyle's views of the book, the clock, and the laws of nature to the atheistic views of Darwin, Dawkins, Freud, and Marx. How can two sets of intelligent people look at the same data and come up with radically different interpretations? It all boils down to their presuppositions. It is very hard for one who is committed to naturalism and materialism to accept anything that hints at divinity. In an article entitled DNA and Other Designs, in the Catholic journal First Things, the author Stephen C. Meyer writes, The reasons for this intellectual shift are no doubt complex, yet clearly the demise of the design argument itself has played an important role in the loss of this traditional Western belief. Beginning in the Enlightenment, philosophers such as David Hume raised seemingly powerful objections against the design argument. Hume claimed that the classical design argument depended on a weak and flawed analogy between biological organisms and human artifacts. Yet for most, it was not the arguments of the philosophers, 
that disposed of design, but the theories of scientists, particularly that of Charles Darwin. Thus, since the late 19th century, most biologists have rejected the idea of intelligent design. While many acknowledge the appearance of design in biological systems, they insist that Darwinianism explains how this appearance arose naturalistically, that is, without invoking a directing intelligent agency. They generally accept that natural selection, acting on random mutations, explains the appearance of design in living organisms. Yet the cloak of this hypothesized appearance of design cannot be stretched to cover at least one important domain of biology, namely that of the cell. The information revolution in biology officially began in 1953 when James Watson and Francis Crick discovered the structure of DNA and solved one of the great scientific mysteries of the ages. Since then, the developments in biochemistry and biology has led to the recognition that the window into the cell has given us a glimpse of the fantastic complexity of life. Now we know that cells are the fundamental units of life. Over the past several decades, research scientists have uncovered facts about the structure and function of cells. The five basic components of cells are, one, a plasma membrane, an outer covering that separates the cell's interior from its surrounding environment. Second, cytoplasm, consisting of a jelly-like region within the cell which forms the vast majority of the cell. Third, the nucleus within the cytoplasm, which contains stringy structures called chromosomes. Fourth, deoxyribonucleic acid, or DNA for short, the major constituent of chromosomes and which supplies the genetic material of the cell. And fifth, ribosomes that makes protein for the cell. By now, most people are familiar with the structure of the DNA molecule. It's like a long ladder twisted into the shape of a spiral called a double helix. DNA is made up of two chains of simpler molecules called nucleotides, forming the sides of the ladder. The nucleotides are constituted by a sugar called ribose, together with a phosphate group from which one oxygen atom has been removed, thus accounting for the prefix deoxy, and a base. Four bases make up the rungs of the ladder of DNA. The bases are the four chemical building blocks, adenine, 
guanine, thymine, and cytosine, or AGTC for short. And they alone distinguish one nucleotide from the next. The first two bases, A and G, are purines. And the second two, T and C, are pyrimidines. There is a rule for the combination of the bases. A and one side or strand of the ladder of DNA is invariably paired with T in the other strand and G with C to form chemical bonds called base pairs, which form the rungs of the ladder between the two strands of DNA. The ends of any rung are held together by hydrogen bonds. If the base at one end of a rung is given, then the other end base is automatically determined by the combination rule. The strands are complementary. If you know one strand, you can work out the other. Thus, if one strand of the double helix starts A, G, G, T, C, C, G, T, 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 A, G, then the other strand starts with T, C, C, A, G, G, C, A, 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 T, C. If you use the letters A, T, G, and C of the four nucleotides that form the structure of DNA as an alphabet, you can get the idea of forming information in the cell by stringing these letters in a chain with specific arrangements. Let me close this episode of the program with this scenario I believe happens around me. If our churches don't pray... And if people don't have an appetite for God, what does it matter how many people are attending the services? How would that impress God? Can you imagine the angels saying, Oh, your pews, we can't believe how beautiful they are. Up here in heaven, we've been talking about them for years. Your sanctuary lighting, it's so clever. The way you have steps coming right up to the pulpit, it's wonderful. No, I don't think so. If we don't want to experience God's closeness here on earth, why would we want to go to heaven anyway? He is the center of everything there. If you don't enjoy being in His presence here and now, then heaven will not be heaven for you. Why would he send anyone there who doesn't long for him passionately here on earth? Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.